Hello, and welcome to another edition of Forrester's CX Cast. Each week, we speak with an analyst from the customer experience team about their research or discuss a customer experience topic in the news. Along with my co-host, analyst Diana Lawfer, my name is Sam Stern. You will hear both of our voices each week. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Forrester CX Cast. This is Sam Stern, your co-host, joined, as always, by Diana Laufer. Hi, everyone. And this week in studio, we have Maxi Schmidt-Subramanian. Hello, Maxi. Hello. Great to have you back. And we wanted to talk to you about your recent report called How Metrics Drive Your Customer Obsession. And I should note, uh, when I say it's your recent report, it's your report, along with co-authors Tina Moffat and Jim Nail. Well, I'll bite. How metrics drive your customer obsession? How do they drive your customer obsession? How, how does that help the right metrics help a company uh, focus on customers? What we found in the research was actually quite interesting. We looked at companies that we consider customer obsessed. So you might say companies that have a track record of providing really good experiences and looked at are they doing anything different? Uh, our mm-hmm. hypothesis was initially maybe they have a different secret sauce in the metrics they're using. But what came out of it is that they might be using very much the same metrics as a company that we wouldn't consider as customer obsessed, that Hmm. doesn't have that track record. So same metrics. Okay, so what's the difference here? And the difference is in how they embrace those metrics. That's different. And that was an interesting finding in the research for me. Yeah, so they're actually potentially measuring the same things or, or asking the same questions or tracking the same numbers, but it's more a function of what they actually do with the data. The question then is, when you say embraced, what do you mm-hmm. mean? Yeah, a good question. The companies that were really good at this, they did, I'd say, three things really well. The first thing is that they rooted every metric that they had in the customer lifecycle or in customer journeys. Let me give you an example. They didn't measure in silos, mm-hmm. but they made sure that any type of measurement that they do does help create good customer experiences from different organizational units that contribute to that experience. So, okay, so we're not saying, hey, well, we, we did fine with our little moment, and we don't care what happens when they went to the next touch point or step in their journey, but actually we're measuring this in a way where we know if our moment or our part of it contributed in the right way to the entire end-to-end mm-hmm. customer experience. Mm-hmm. And Sam, you know, remember you and I had the research uh, conversation with Pitney Bowes, where they made mm-hmm. three departments responsible for one metric right. to enforce collaboration and to improve resolution time for customers. That is the type of thinking that, that we found in some of the more advanced companies. Great. So that's one. I think you said there were three. Yeah. The second thing is that they're using those metrics to drive trade-offs that are customer-obsessed as opposed to be short-term obsessed. So think about Mm. a company like uh, Ally Bank, founded on the principle of customer experience of getting rid of that pain point when customers are trying to get support. So it's an online-only bank, but they have actually support centers here onshore in the U.S. And they're really good at saying, you know what, we know what drives our long-term commitment of customers, what drives that relationship, and we know what drives that relationship, and we're going to do the things that are relevant to driving that relationship Even if in the short run, this might seem like we're potentially incurring costs or making decisions that other companies would go ahead and say, oh, we have a quarterly earnings call coming up. We better make sure that the numbers look good. That's not how they approach it. So they they make long-term decisions. They're patient. They're they're happy to wait for the impact that they know is going to come on the customer relationship in the long term. Just to play that out, I mean, the the relationship there potentially 
if it's working for Ally Bank is, sure, it might cost us more to have more customers find our 800 number and call us. And it might cost us more to have staff in U.S. call centers rather than overseas call centers. But our hypothesis or what we expect to happen is that if they can call us when they need to and want to and get an issue resolved, that they'll remain our customer, thus increasing money, revenue earned from long-term loyalty and purchase of additional products and services, reducing marketing or acquisition costs in the future because... We're keeping customers. We don't get new ones. Is that sort of the equation that they're exactly. looking at? Exactly, and their renewal rates are really high. So yeah. or their their retention rates, I should say, are really high. And so, I mean, just one of the examples that they shared with us, they do measure and incentivize employees on their first call resolution rate and not on lowest cost per call because they know that having a little bit higher cost of problem resolution is going to result in fewer unhappy customers, so they have lower acquisition costs following mm. that. They pay the long-term game. Yeah. And paying the long-term game also means that you need to have uh, an idea of how your customer metrics, your financial metrics, your employee metrics, and your operational metrics play together. Think of this balanced scorecard, and you use that to make customer-obsessed decisions. I guess in that respect, you wouldn't necessarily want to act on every little metric that shows there might be a problem, because if you have that balanced scorecard, you know which ones actually ladder up to those outcome metrics that you care about. Exactly, yeah. So... You talked about the first two things. What was the third big difference in how customer-obsessed companies use and embrace metrics? So the third big difference is, I would nearly say this is the key of the story. You can do the other two well, but if you don't get that right, then you're not getting anywhere. And that is driving a culture of accountability. But what I mean by that is that when you look at customer-obsessed companies, we saw completely different behavior when it comes to accountability. Metrics were used as a way to check whether you did the things that you know were important to do as opposed to doing something that is to move a metric. So customer-obsessed companies were truly obsessed with the customer. The others were obsessed with the score. So they're managing towards a score, not really knowing what's behind the score, how they can influence it, why they're even compensated on it. And customer-obsessed companies is that, you know what, we're also measuring customer satisfaction, but you know what it takes to improve satisfaction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We enable and empower you. So they're not just trying to game the system and hand you the NPS survey and say, please give me a 9 or a 10. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) Sam, we had that interview with Pitney Bowes, Mm -hmm. who said something that I'll never forget. They said, weighing the pig doesn't make it fatter. (laughs) This is exactly what this is about. One of the companies that we interviewed said, you know, they even stopped sharing service scores with the frontline employees. Think about that. What kind of departure is that from business as usual? So they don't share those scores, but the supervisor has to take the scores, the verbatims, call listening, has to take that together and create a plan. And then he has to go to the front-end agent and say, you know what, I've noticed there's qualities going down or there's a problem. Here's a plan of how to approach that. Yeah. Now that's a way to go about it to actually really create a culture of accountability that is not just uh, about the score but about the experience. And I had, a, I had a great example this week of, of sort of the mop-up companies have to do when they get into the scores, all that matters mentality. I took my car to get service, at, you know, whatever the scheduled maintenance was, and I got the survey afterward from the dealer, and they were asking if any employee had told me what to give them on the survey. That was a question on the survey, checking if anyone had coached me on how to score on the survey. And I said, no, good news is maybe they are stamping out that behavior. But to me, that question was just a clear sign that they'd had that as a problem at some point, probably derived from incenting people on nines or tens on surveys. That is interesting. I would expect that to happen much, much more often now that this behavior seems to be... So this is a a company, you know, cleaning up right after Mm -hmm, itself, mm -hmm. after getting hooked on accountability as, well, we expect nines or tens. 
The other thing I wanted to note is I, w- I heard a great Robert Louis Stevenson quote, someone was repeating on a podcast today that sort of spoke to this. It was, don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. And I think that's a really good pointer towards it. focus on the behaviors, focus on the things that we know will yield the right outcomes. Mm -hmm. And if we do that, then we will ultimately harvest great scores and great retention, but don't focus on the scores themselves. Yeah. Also because those types of, you called it a mopping up um, efforts, they don't last long because next time the coaching will be, give me a good score and don't answer yes on that question that you get there. Right? That's right. Employees find a way around it. If, if, if employees understand that what you're after is a score because somebody told you, hey, we have to hit target X, then they'll, they'll know that and they'll help you achieve that score. But that doesn't mean that they'll help you make customers right. happier. The other thing is if companies are adopting your first point, which is adopting metrics rooted in the customer lifecycle where multiple groups are responsible or accountable to one metric, it doesn't make sense to say, okay, we're going to grade you on this metric because it's not just up to them, right? It's going to be up to a, a bigger group of people. They are yeah. actually graded on it, but yeah. here it becomes even more important to say, here's everybody who we think is involved now, you know, figure it out. We'll help you figure it out. But you have to work with those people to improve how you serve customers. Great. So all of that and more, I imagine, in this report. The report, again, is called How Metrics Drive Your Customer Obsession. Anything else you want to call out um, that you and your co-authors found in the research? What's going to be really hard for any company to do is to just try to steer and change their culture by implementing a metric. So think about where you are. Are you already customer obsessed or not? If you're not, which you know, many companies haven't got to that level, be honest with yourself. Are you currently a customer obsessed company? And if you're not, think about how you sequence your metrics efforts. So make sure that you first instill a sense of what customer-centric culture is and what those behaviors are, that employees can live those behaviors and understand what they have to do Tell them ahead of time that you'll measure them against them and that you'll follow up whether they behave a certain way. But the first step is to get the employees to understand what they need to do and then make them accountable for that. So get the sequence right. Good. I like that advice. Thank you, Maxi, for for joining us again for another CX Cast episode. We always appreciate it. Listeners, the report that we were just discussing is called How Metrics Drive Your Customer Obsession. It's an effort between uh, Maxi and a couple of other analysts, Tina Moffat and Jim Nail. So thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's CX Cast. We'll post links to the reports we mentioned in the show notes for this podcast. And if you have questions or suggestions, please contact me at s-s-t-e-r-n at forrester.com. And remember, your customer's perception is your CX reality. <laughs> <laughs>